lot of times this life backs us up against the wall Seems the higher we climb, the further we get pushed and fall But we have each other to learn and grow strong Yeah, we have each other to discuss what's wrong Welcome everyone to another episode of Her Melanin. Um, this episode is going to be about the role of a doula in breastfeeding. Um, in celebration of Black Maternal Health Week, I feel that doulas are very um, underrepresented. Uh, underrepresented. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like doulas are not represented well, <laughs> are not represented enough or not known enough within our community. And um, doulas are just important as um, any other healthcare provider um, and all that good stuff. So with me, I have another guest. Can you introduce yourself? (laughs) My name is Duana, also known as Tony. I go by Duo Doula. And so, uh, first and foremost, thank you for joining me on this episode. Um, I really appreciate it um, because, like I said, I want to get this information out. A lot of women are unaware of what a doula is. So, I would like to start off with that. Can you explain uh, what exactly are doulas? (laughs) You saying hi? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so a doula is your support system in a nutshell. A doula helps provide support and stability, mental stability to the mom, her partner, or whoever is along on her journey for entrancing the baby. You got some advice too? (laughs) Who's ever um, (laughs) joining her for throughout her progression of entrancing her baby. So... A doula helps, um, it, they help also with the physical aspect. They help teach you different exercises that you can do to help open up your pelvis or even for some women to help close their cervical. Yeah. Hey, 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 to help close their cervix. And, um, you know, for some women who dilate early on, there's doulas who can help with that. There's also different categories of doulas. There's bereavement doulas postpartum doulas, prenatal doulas, pre-pregnancy, and there's also abortion doulas. So there's a wide variety uh, to choose from, uh, depending on what you're needing. And a lot of postpartum doulas, they, um, a lot of women think that they just, it's basically like how you go to your six-week visit with your doctor. No, a postpartum doula, most of them, they will come and watch the baby so you can take a shower. They will cook for you. They will wash your clothes. Um, They will keep the baby so you and your partner can take a nap or if it's just you. 
they do so much, uh, all doulas in general, but they do so much uh, beyond what a lot of people give credit for or what they think of when they hear the word doula. But a doula helps you to stay on track. They help you, um, like I said, support. They help you when you think you can't do it anymore. They help you find that last bit of fight within you to keep going and bring forth your baby in the most healthy and most natural way possible. That's good. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize that doulas are your support system, but it's not just for the mom. It's also for the family. They Mm -hmm. help, you know, the significant others connect with the the mother, you know, during her time of labor and all that good stuff. So, um, like, I didn't realize that until I found my own doula, um, the services that were provided. And when she told me, I was literally mind blown. Mm-hmm. Like it was really surprising, and so um, with that, now that we've established what a doula is and the role of a doula, um, could you explain or could you tell us um, your experience as a doula? Um, also, you know, because you're a mother as well, so. Um, just for any mothers to be or mothers that's out there listening, um, could you give them um, a story about the experiences that you've been through or you've encountered as a doula? Uh, as a doula, I most of my um, clients entranced in the hospital. I prefer home entrances for the babies just because it's less invasive. Uh, at the hospital, I know a plethora of them are starting to get on board with the natural route and um, giving the mom and the baby space. But at home, it's a lot more sacred and divine and intimate. And um, it's just a whole different experience. But in the hospital, um, a lot of hospitals sometimes I want to say maybe like undermine the doulas uh, because they, one, we're not medically certified. So that's where we're not, we're not as respected as we should be as far in the, in the medical industry. But um, it's a beautiful thing when you can step in and show the mom that the hospital isn't, uh, the, the hospital is a agent to the government. So what they try to implement on you is not laws. It's just what they go by. So when you can step in and you can help a mom and you can, you know, be her voice and say, no, we're not going to do an epidural. No, we're not going to, you know, she doesn't want to induce or um, no, we're going to wait it out. Or she wants to keep her placenta. We're not authorizing you to keep it. Uh, when you're able or, you know, we want to do delayed cord clamping, when you're able to help that mom because either she's confused or she's lost or uh, she's scared because, you know, a lot of people feel that when a doctor tells you something, you have to do it. You know, you don't have a choice. But when you can show a mom that they do have a choice and they do have options, it's a wonderful thing. And to see them bond with their baby in the most natural way is very beautiful. And so um, I want to go into kind of a different route. So 
Um, earlier this week, I shared my birth story on my podcast with my listeners. And one of the things I stressed about was having a birth plan. Mm-hmm. Um, even if things doesn't go the route that is needed, um, I was explaining how a birth plan um, basically gives you sanity and it gives you the voice that you need. Um, because as mothers, we, especially um, when you're, when it's that time, when you're, you know, going through the motions, uh, you're not mm-hmm. in the right mind. So having that plan in place is your voice. Um, especially if you don't have a doula around. Uh, what Correct. are your thoughts about that? I love birth plans. Um, I wish I would have had one. My baby came on a Sunday, and that Saturday before, the Saturday before that Sunday, or the day before, um, I said, you know what, I'm going to make me a birth plan, because just in case I have to have my baby at the hospital uh, I, I want to have everything in place. So I said that Sunday when I got up, I was going to go ahead and make a birth plan um, for just in case if I had to go to the hospital. And my baby started coming 5 a.m. that day. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I unfortunately didn't um, get to make a birth plan. And I unfortunately ended up having her at the hospital, which um, a birth plan would have been great because they would have known everything I wanted. I wouldn't have had to, you know, fight with them about it or I would have been able to just hand them a piece of paper and say, here, you know, this is the guidelines, this is the stipulation, and I don't want you to cross these boundaries. Um, But, yeah, I love birth plans. I advise all moms to make one, even if, you know, you want to do it at a home birth, too, because a lot of times your midwife who you've been visiting with may not be available and they might send you a completely different midwife and a completely different understudy. So even if they have notes of who you are, there's no, she does a lot, a lot of times she won't know, okay, I don't want you to cut the cord. I don't want you to wipe the vernix off. I don't want you, you know, to, to touch my baby. I want to, to grab my baby. I don't want you to pull my baby out. I don't want you to keep checking me. You know, a lot of those notes, those more intimate notes don't necessarily get transferred. It's mostly the medical aspect of it. So a birth plan um, comes into play even with home births because you can give that to your midwife, uh, the, the midwife, if they're not your original midwife and whoever she bring in as her birth worker, or I like to call them uh, assistors. So they can... Um, they can then get a feel of how you want your story to go and how you want your journey to be. So, yeah, I love birth plans. Um, I think they're amazing. You can be as detailed as you want or you can be as vague as you want. I always say the more details, the better. Yeah. But, yes, I love birth plans. So I want to talk about your experience because you're a doula. Um, You've been doing this for years. Mm -hmm. Um. And yet you still had to, um, you had a, um, a, an unexpected turn in your uh, pregnancy. Uh, pregnancy. Correct. So I would like okay, to, so you, if you don't mind explaining how that was for you, especially with the knowledge that you, you've learned over your course um, of being a doula. Right. So I'm 27 now. I've been studying this 
learning about um, the way babies come into this world and the safest, safest routes and all of that since I was in the ninth grade. Um, sex ed introduced me to it when I, after I seen the videos where the whole reproduction process goes, after that, I knew this is what I wanted to do. Um, not necessarily oh, wow. doula work. I won't say necessarily doula work, but I knew that I was already emotionally and mentally invested in learning about it as much as possible. Doula wasn't uh, introduced to me until I think maybe I was 19 or 20. But um, when I was pregnant, being a doula, you know, you know, you know your rights, you know everything, you know your um, what you have a say so in. And I unfortunately um, missed my first appointment with my midwife because I had contracted food poisoning. Yeah, I ended up contracting food poisoning. And um, so I ended up getting from that, it ended up going to hyperemesis, something called hyperemesis. And it's basically like extreme morning sickness. So you can't eat, uh, you can't, well, you can sleep uh, sometimes, but you can't eat. Um, you don't gain weight. You lose all your nutrients. All your nutrients go towards growing the baby. You are completely depleted. I ended up losing about 20 pounds. Wow. So, um, yeah, that was a roller coaster within itself. So I ended up uh, missing my appointment because I was so sick and I couldn't travel out. And um, the only doctors I had really seen, my doctors wouldn't even see me. The only doctors I had really seen was at the hospital. Uh, my doctors wouldn't see me because I was so sick and they were trying to get me admitted. But um so I didn't get to get my midwife. The When I finally did get another appointment, it was going to be for when I was maybe around, I would have been 39 weeks. So um, I didn't get her in time. My baby ended up coming when I was exactly 38 weeks. So she came right before my appointment. And um, Having my baby at the hospital was the very last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> I um, <laughs> contemplated on just having her at home, but her dad was not for it. And I didn't want to go against his his wishes. So uh, we ended up going to the hospital. They did not, even being a doula myself, knowing all these things, they still, um, when you're the one that's going through it, they're not going to listen to you, unfortunately. Um, and that's where I wish I would have had a doula myself. Oh, because, wow. Yeah, because they just weren't listening to me. Um, I was the only one there. I was the only person there, the only mom there having a baby at the time. So um, it was really scary at the same time because, you know, there's so the mortality rate for melanated women having babies in the hospital and also the the um, infant death rate of melanated babies in the hospital. Um, and then, you know, the things that kept running through my mind was like the one case where the, the mom whose baby the doctors decapitated the baby's head. So all those things were running through my mind, having her in the hospital and them not listening to me and knowing that I'm the only one there having this baby in this small little area. Um, it was rough. 
and being a doula and knowing that I have the say so in what I want. And if I tell you, no, you're not supposed to do it, but you forcing me to do it anyways. It was rough from that standpoint. Um, it was very, it was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Violating. It was very violating. So, um, yeah, my experience... <laughs> My experience on, on, on both spectrums are very different. So, yeah, that's where I wish I would have ended up having a doula because she would have been able to, even if they would have kicked her out, she would have at least been able to say, you know, okay, well, she don't want this. She, she do want that. And she would have also been a bear witness as to what I had to go through. So, um, yeah, something like that I wish I would have ended up investing in a doula for that. Because if I would have had my baby at home, um, I personally didn't feel that I necessarily needed a doula just because I know how to take control of my own emotions and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, my baby's father is was a great support system uh, while I was pregnant. So I personally didn't feel that I, I needed a doula just because I knew how to um, basically support my own emotions. But as far as vocally being an advocate for you in a hospital setting, Yes, I wish I would have had a doula. It would have made a world of difference. Wow, that's uh, crazy how you said uh, basically how violating um, the feeling was having your baby at the hospital. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a strong word. And I feel like a lot of moms don't feel like they don't have a voice or they, they do feel violated. Um, mm-hmm. because it's like, hey, this doctor has been doing this for years, so maybe they know what's best for me when we know what's best for ourselves because we know our bodies. Correct. Um, so that's very interesting, but yet alarming um, as a doula to um, categorize your experience as um, basically being violated. Mm-hmm. Um, cause imagine the mothers that don't have any experience, don't know anything. They just know, Hey, I got this baby and I'm trying to have this baby and I want to be safe and healthy. Um, and unfortunately as African-American women, our maternal, our mortality maternal rates are way higher, um, than any other women of any other nationality, any other race, um, out there. Mm-hmm. And I feel it's because of the lack of education, um, as well as lack of support system. Um, as I said before in my birth story, um, the support system of my doulas is what helped me get through. Correct. Um, and when a lot of women think about labor and they think about birth and all that, they think of pain. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case. It doesn't have to be that. Um, that thought it, it doesn't have to be that feeling because yes your body is going through some changes but it's not as bad as what you think it may be like you can get a tattoo you can get a piercing you tell me you can't push out this baby <laughs> yeah and a lot of um especially when you get a doula early on they will help you prepare and train your body Yes, for when yes. it's time to entrance your baby because like I say having a baby is no different from 
running a marathon. You have to, or someone who wants to go and join the Olympics. They don't wake up one day and say, hey, I just want to, you know, let's go fill out a form and see if we can join the Olympics. No, that's something you train for. They train for that for years. And the same thing with um, entrancing a baby. That's why I tell a lot of women now, if you do, even though you don't want a baby now, if you do plan on having a baby five, 10 years from now, prepare yourself now, prepare your womb, prepare your pelvis now, stretch and work those muscles out, strengthen your core, help open up your hips so that when it's time for you to entrance a baby, you won't experience that intense pain that a lot of women talk about. You know, and clean up your your vital intake. Stop eating foods that are considered a diet because um, that also makes it harder for women or more challenging for women when they're entrancing a baby because their bodies isn't, it's not prepared. It's not accurately prepared for it. So a a doula, a lot of times when you get them early on, they can assist you with different exercises you can do and different um, nutritional supplements that you can start taking that are more whole foods and healthier for your body as opposed to those Cheetos you craving or them hot wings and fries. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you say that because... I mean, don't get me wrong, a craving is a craving. Uh, um, we do tend to those sometimes. But I feel like a lot of women use being uh, pregnant as a cop-out to eat like crap. I used to because I am um, I have an alkaline lifestyle. So when I say lifestyle, that means from what I eat to the products I use on my skin to the things I use in my home. And... I kid you not, when I was, before I was alkaline, I did the vegan thing. And there are these vegan Cheeto puffs that um, are cheese puffs um, that I used to get. And when I was pregnant, I just started craving them. So what I would do is, and it would be in the front of the store. <laughs> like, <laughs> as soon as I walk in, to my left, there's a whole box of them so I used to get them put them in my car walk around with them throughout the store and tell myself and I would look at all the ingredients and I would tell myself why these are bad for me and by the end of my shopping journey I didn't want them anymore and I would put them back on my shelf unfortunately I had to do that almost every time (laughs) because the cravings would come right back like ah yeah I know they bad but they taste so good (laughs) yeah yeah so but um yeah I used to yeah, you have to do that. But yeah, a lot of women do use that as a um a cop out, like you said, or uh, um excuse to eat unhealthy or to indulge in the things that they want to because you know they say, oh, it's the baby, it's the baby, I'm pregnant, it's the baby. When at, in actuality, that's the time you should you should want to be your healthiest. Exactly. Exactly. Because what you feeding yourself, you feeding your child. Yep. And so you don't want to be dumping just anything in your child um, mm-hmm. majority of the time. Not saying you have to eat healthy 24-7 because if that's not your lifestyle, then that's just what it is. But at least mm-hmm. putting in the effort to eat foods that help develop your baby to help mm-hmm. promote um, a healthy baby at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Because all those foods, um, they play a role. So 
not only are they damaging you, but they're damaging your baby and they're also damaging your future grandbabies at the same time. Um, because, you know, like how they say, according to science, that women are born with all of their eggs. Yep. And, you know, men are, are also already born with their sperm already um, generating within their abdomen. So a lot of those things um, you're already instilling within your grandbabies. And then, you know, you wonder why your baby has ADHD or autism or um in, uh, intestine issues or um, allergies or asthma, eczema, you know, all of those foods, those dyes and those um, chemicals, a lot of those things have a lot of unfortunate health problems on, on our young ones. And a lot of people don't resonate that it's contributed from what you're consuming, especially while you're pregnant. It all starts from um, in the womb. We're attacked from in the womb. So as a mom being pregnant, it's our job to protect our babies, starting from before we get pregnant. (laughs) Starting from before we get pregnant, you want to create a healthy environment for your womb, uh, for your baby to grow in. But if you didn't and you're already pregnant, then is the time to not be selfish and um, think wholly about your baby and do your best. Like you said, do your best uh, to eat and eat. But what I was saying, oh, so as I was saying, I wanted to talk about um, changing our mindset um, and then, well, the impact that our mind have during our um, labor or as you say, um, as we're going through our surges and all those things because um, it's very powerful. So I remember uh, when I got my doula, I actually got her, she said it was pretty early. I think I was about 28 weeks when I found my doula. I thought I was late. She said I was early. Um, she was telling me, you know, to look into affirmations and all that. So what I did was I went on Pinterest and I found some affirmations that I liked and I printed them out. It was about 18, 20 of them. And I, when I was about 28 weeks pregnant mm-hmm. and she was telling me um, how I should find affirmations to help me get through um moments when I feel like I can't make it Mm -hmm. and so what I did was I went on Pinterest and I just looked up different affirmations and I printed out the ones that I really liked and I swear I had about 18-20 different pages uh, of affirmations and what I did was I printed them out and I I taped them all on my daughter wall um, in her room and so uh, and every day I would walk in and just look at them and then when it was time, as I was having my surges and all that, I would go and I would speak those affirmations to get me through um, those moments. Like, I know one of them was like, every surge. Um, another one was saying, um, I was made to do this. Like, my body knows what it's doing. I'm going to um, follow my body. And um, I just want to talk about that Um because I feel like that plays a big role, especially when um, a lot of women think they can't do a, a natural labor because they're like, oh, I can't take it and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So affirmations, meditation, and sigils. Um, 
key roles in controlling your mindset. Um, Hello? You okay? Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Is she okay? Okay. Is she okay? Can you hear me? Yeah, I was just wondering if the baby's okay. (laughs) Oh, you can hear her that whole time? (laughs) Yeah, I heard her coughing. Oh, it kept saying it it wasn't connecting. Okay, so. You okay? Yeah, she's eating and choking on milk. (laughs) Oh, oh, I know too much about that. (laughs) But, um... (laughs) Oh, so yeah, uh, meditation, affirmations, and sigils um, play a major role. And sigils are basically symbols that you make out of your affirmations. Um, I did all of those things while pregnant, and I also tell, hold on. Yes, those are the three things I always tell, uh, one of the main things, first things that I um, like to introduce to women because your your mental state, and they also call it hypnobirthing too, um, to any listeners who want to look into that or looking to how to train your mindset, you can look up hypnobirthing. Um, and what that does is it basically, you basically turn your pain, because a lot of time pain is a mental thing, just like how when you um, tell yourself you don't feel good, even if you you might feel a little off, but you still feel like you're able to do something. Um, the moment you start telling yourself that and you start telling yourself you're scared or you, you're hurting, it intensifies and your body is listening. So all of that energy is transferring to each cell and each cell is now starting to generate fear, stress, um, discomfort, and it's going to travel throughout your entire body. So you're going to create your reality. But the moment you start telling yourself, you know, I can do this. This is beautiful. This is pleasurable. This feels good. The moment you take back control over your mind and uh, take away that discomfort you're feeling in your body, you then can turn that pain into pleasure. When I was entrancing my baby, we were on our way to the hospital. Um, her dad was driving. My mom was in the passenger seat. And I had to tell my mom to just be quiet. And her dad had to turn his phone on silent because any type of noises would break my mindset. And um, so my mom was like, you know, she was being basically my doula. She was being <laughs> my little coach. She was like, you can do it. You're doing great. And I had to just say, mommy, stop talking, please. Just hush. <laughs> and, um I had to go inside my mind because I ended up losing control of myself and I was allowing the discomfort, the intensity uh, to overcome me. And so with each surge, I was starting to complain. And I noticed that about myself and I noticed that that's not the aspect I wanted. And I knew that that's not the energy I wanted to transfer to my baby because if I'm stressed or if I'm complaining, that's going to transfer to my baby and it's going to upset my baby at the same time. So I went into my mind and I started telling myself mentally, they couldn't hear anything I was saying. Mentally, I was telling myself, you can do this. You know, same thing you said you read on your affirmations. 
this is what I was designed to do. My baby will come in the most perfect way. I'm a divine being. Uh, you are, I was meant for this. Uh, and I would hold my womb and I would tell my baby, you know, you're perfect. You're coming in the most perfect way. Everything is going to go just as it should. Um, you know, things like that. And I would do coherent heart breathing. So that's when you breathe in for a certain amount of time, you hold it, and then you release for a certain amount of time. And I would do that um, each different sequence, number sequence. So an example, if I breathe in for three seconds, hold it for one and breathe out for three seconds, I would do that for a repetition of seven times, just because of the um, meaning of seven. Seven represents completeness and wholeness. I would do that for a number of seven times with each surge, and that will also help calm me down. You get um, you get a sense of relief when you learn how to control your breath. So, uh, and that plays another form in meditation. Also, meditation and manifestation goes hand in hand too. So, even when you're telling yourself, when you're thinking, visualizing of how this is going to go, and when you visualize it going smoothly and easily, that's you also. Uh, meditating and manifesting at the same time so yeah I uh, always encourage women to do meditation sigils and affirmations I did I did not know that I was just like which part about how um just gaining back control gives you um like a, a sign of relief Oh, mm-hmm. Over yourself. Absolutely. I mean, that makes sense because once you lose it mm-hmm. and everything is like, everything goes crazy. Everything is out of whack mm-hmm. because you're losing control. Yeah. So I never even thought of it that way at all, which is, which is, is very interesting. Um, uh, um, touch on something you said earlier about how doulas aren't licensed like your midwife. Um, because a lot of women don't know, they think, oh, my midwife is my doula. Or aren't you a doula? I mean, um, you're a doula, but you're not a midwife. Like, um, I want mm-hmm. to um, elaborate on the difference between them two, between the two. So basically, your your midwife is basically your doctor, substi- your substitute for a doctor. Um, the, the main reason a lot of people choose a midwife over a a doctor or a physician is because midwives will do the most natural route. No, nine times out of 10, a midwife will do the most natural route, but they are, um, medically licensed. So they can do sutures and they can, uh, advise you in the medical aspect, whereas a doula cannot, a doula doesn't even necessarily have to be certified, um, through their state to be considered a doula if they've been practicing and they know um, what they're talking about and they've been doing their own independent studying, they can then go out and create their own clientele base and claim themselves as a doula because as I said, a doula is a support system. So we're not actually uh, medically advising you anything. Now, if we want to give our opinion from our own perspective on what we would do, yeah. we can do that. But we we can't tell the patient, you know, hey, no, you know, don't do this, don't do that. 
you know, we can advise like, okay, well, you know, if, if it was me, I wouldn't do this, but you should ask your midwife or ask your doctor uh, just because from a medical standpoint, we're not authorized to give that type of advice. We're not authorized to make those types of calls. Uh, like we're only support. Well, I won't say we're only support, but that's our main role as a, we're a support system. Okay. So just so you guys know, don't be thinking, oh, I got a doula and I'm good. No. <laughs> No, yeah, you're still going to need a midwife. Well, I won't even say, uh, well, speaking from my own personal experience, um, I did have a doctor, but um, they didn't see me until I was maybe five months. <laughs> wow. Like I said, because wow. I was really sick, so they wouldn't see me, um, not until I was maybe five months, and then even then, they really didn't do anything for me. They ended up asking me, you know, why do you even come in here? <laughs> because... <laughs> Um, you don't do the ultrasounds, you don't do the fetal Doppler, like what you only and you already me- measure your own fundal hump. So like what's the point of you coming in here? And I was like, you know, I honestly don't know. I just I guess it was a sense of like um I guess a sense of responsibility to please other people. So like my mom, my sisters and her father, he didn't really care honestly um, about me going to the doctor either just because of our, our lifestyle. uh, We trusted in the fact that we were growing a healthy baby and I was spiritually connected with my baby from the day we conceived the day we conceived. I said I was pregnant and uh, maybe two weeks after that, I told him I was pr- I had a dream that I was pregnant. No, maybe a week after that, I told him I had a dream that I was pregnant. And um, he laughed at me, of course. And then two weeks later, I was maybe two weeks pregnant, almost three weeks pregnant. And um, I finally took a he he said the same thing. He think I'm pregnant. I took a pregnancy test and I took about four pregnancy tests. <laughs> and um, yeah, they all came out positive. So we knew that we were pregnant the I well at least I knew I was pregnant from the day I conceived because I've always been so in tune spiritually with my own being mm-hmm. so when I felt my uh-huh. baby's soul um enter my body I knew from then that I was pregnant just from the beginning so um a lot of people that's a whole nother conversation because um, <laughs> yeah. some people feel that babies don't get a soul or a spirit until they like you know eight weeks or something but from my own personal experience no the the day that that semen encounters that egg <laughs> um from my personal experience that soul was her soul was created but uh yeah so I really yeah I really didn't uh go to the doctor but yeah a doula is not a doctor so you know, um, if you are someone who might be high risk or, you know, you do live a certain lifestyle to where you do need, because I can't just, it's not generic. I can't just tell everyone, oh, you don't, you know, you really don't need a doctor. Some women might actually need a doctor. Like I said, it depends on your lifestyle. If you wear perfume or if you use deodorant or, you know, simplest things as wearing underwire bras, um, or the type of clothing you wear, the type of foods you eat, what you put on your hair, do you get your nails done all the time? Those type of things affect your health in general. So I can't tell someone they don't need a doctor or um, they don't need a, they don't necessarily need a midwife. So it all depends on you and your lifestyle. But yes, a doula is not a midwife or a doctor. So 
if you need a doctor or a midwife, do not depend on your doula because we cannot medically advise you with anything. <laughs> it is against the law. <laughs> yes, unless you want your doula to get fired or possibly end up in court, don't put your doula through that. Don't try to get um, medical advice through your doula. In all seriousness, um, don't try to encourage your doula to be your medical advisor because then that not only um, puts you at risk, but it also messes up their reputation and it also can mess up um, their what they're doing. So get you a midwife or get you a doctor. So are you are you independent? Are you independent? Um, you work on your own, like independent, or do you work yes. with? Oh, so you're on your own. Um, so how correct? If do you know any doulas that work like in companies or in organizations? Um, uh, personally, no. All the ones I know are independent. Okay. Okay. But um, just from I've I'm in some Facebook groups and I I've, I've seen some amazing doulas. Uh, just from what I see that they post and the the type of way that they care for their clients, uh, I've seen them. They've been through um, Jenny Joseph. I've seen some that's through La Leche League. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's another one. I can't recall her name. It starts with a D. I think it's like Donna or something like that. Um, those are the most common, most popular ones. Yeah, I think it's the Donna International uh, group or something like that. Yes, I think so. I know what you're talking about. So I want to switch gears. Um, we talked about mm-hmm. doulas and the role of a doula and all that good stuff. But I want to talk about breastfeeding. Um, because I kind of feel like mm-hmm. it's like a taboo in the African-American, uh, in our culture, which is weird. It shouldn't be. Um, I advocate wholeheartedly for breastfeeding. Um, main reason for me, um, advocating so hard is because, um, our bodies are made to breastfeed. Like, your body is mm-hmm. going to naturally produce <laughs> the milk anyways, so why waste it instead of giving it to your child? Mm-hmm. So I would like to talk Correct. about that um, during this segment um, for a moment. Because, like, um, when, after I had my daughter and I was talking to my family members, uh, I realized a lot of women um, in my family did not breastfeed. And mm-hmm. some of them was by choice. Some of them were like, well, I had to get back to work. Like, I never had time to. And it's unfortunate because I feel breast milk is the best milk. <laughs> so mm-hmm. why not give your child the good stuff, you know? Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? Yep, I agree. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I know a lot of entrance of sisters they like to basically sugarcoat it and they don't want the moms to feel bad who didn't choose to breastfeed so you know they stay away from the bestest breast slogan but um I'm very vague I don't like to be candid about it to me breast is best uh not even to me just to the results of what how your the little babies grow the even the studies that have been done on breastfed babies versus formula fed babies um is such a a huge difference and 
uh, I don't support shelf milk uh, by any means. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I always like to say uh, when, you, when it comes to breastfeeding, it's when it comes to breastfeeding versus shelf milk is like uh, putting on shoes, which I explained this to you before. It's like um, trying on shoes. So if I wear a size seven and you wear a size eight, but I'm a size seven slim and you're a size eight wide. We can't put, we both can't put on the size nine. Like it might feel comfortable to you, but it might, it's, it's going to be too big and floppy for me, or it might feel comfortable for me, but it might be too narrow for you. So, you know, it's shelf milk is generic like that. You can't, it's not tailored for your baby. Whereas your breast milk is tailored for your baby. Um, it's going to help your baby to grow. It's going to sustain your baby. It can sustain your baby um, for the, for the first 12 plus months of their life. They technically don't need any type of food. And even after 12 months, um, you know, as long as you can keep, if you're able to keep up with it, then, you know, why not? If you want to do exclusively breastfeeding, I'm almost 13 months in with, um, we did 12 months exclusively breastfeeding. And for this month, we've been doing um, like 80% breastfeeding, 20% foods. But um, most days she, oh, my baby only consume breast milk. But like you said, uh, a lot of people don't fully comprehend um, I even get, I still get, uh, shamed for publicly breastfeeding my baby when I'm with my father and his, um, yeah, when I'm with my father and his wife and it's just because they've been programmed that it's, you know, weird or that breast is sexual. So they don't see it as a food supplement. They always tell me, you know, oh, no, wait till you get in the car. you know, you're not going to put a cover on, you just going to let her grab it like that. And it's like, yeah, and they're like, you know, from their perspective, it's like, you know, it's perverts out. And, you know, what if that man is looking? Yeah. He's like, you know, I'm your dad. I don't want to see your breasts. And, <laughs> and I'm telling them, you know, but it's natural, you know. It's unfortunate that you weren't raised on the breast. It's unfortunate that I wasn't raised on the breast because that is why we don't see it as normal. And I have to uh, break down to people all the time. Breast milk is full of so much fat and so much um, antibodies. So it's their, it's literally their immune system. It's one of what, it's what helps their immune system. And not only is breastfeeding good for the baby, um, it's good for the mom. It helps your uterus transition um, when, right after you have your baby. It helps your uterus transition mm -hmm. uh, and shrink the size. It helps. What is going on with you, baby? <laughs> you okay mama what's the matter you all right but it helps um it also helps with postpartum <laughs> depression it helps release oxytocin for mom and baby which is that love hormone so it creates a stronger bond between mom and baby mm -hmm. um it also yeah it, it's just a beautiful thing uh, breastfeeding, like I said, breastfeeding is full of um, so many different nutrients, so many different supplements that shelf milk can't provide for your baby. If your baby is sick, uh, our nipples, our milk ducts, they actually have a um, like a suction type of mechanism that goes on with them. So as your baby pulls out, their DNA goes mm -hmm. in. So if your baby is catching a cold or if they're some type of... Um, 
bug has gotten into their stomach, like germ or something like that has gotten into their stomach and they have diarrhea or upset stomach, your body's DNA is going to read your baby's DNA and then customize your milk to help aid whatever your baby needs. So if your baby needs more vitamin C or if your baby needs more antibodies to help with their line of defense for their immune system, uh, your body is going to produce, start producing that. Whereas shelf milk can't do that. You're going to still be giving your baby shelf milk and then taking them to the doctor and then pumping them with Tylenol or Motrin. And, you know, it can't, your, 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 the shelf milk can't do that like breast milk can. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And especially uh, the colostrum, which is the first form of your milk. What's the matter? which is available for the first couple of days um, that your baby is here. <clears throat> and it says when, if you want to do cluster feeding, that's the time to uh, definitely do it. But then like the first two to four days, because that's when you have full blown colostrum, your milk don't stay colostrum. Colostrum is really, what's the matter, baby? What's wrong here? Colostrum is that really thick, sticky milk that looks like condensed milk, that looks like canned milk. Mm-hmm. And um, it's super rich in antioxidants and fat and nutrients to help your baby grow calcium. And um, there's a biologist by the name of, um, gosh, what's her name? Her name was literally in my head. <laughs> Uh, her, le- her last name is Hind. I want to say her first name is Kira, I think. No, Cassie. <laughs> Cassie Hind. Um, here. You want this? Right here, baby. Come on. Here. Her name is Cassie Hind. She's a biologist, and she's been doing a study on breast milk. Um, they've been still been studying human breast milk, but um, her main study has been with mammals on cow's milk and uh, monkey's milk. And they have found that there's a such thing as daughter's milk and son's milk. So literally your breast milk uh, is different depending on what sex your firstborn baby is. So a lot of uh, moms who had a daughter first when it came to when they did the study on the, the uh, cows, they did the study on the cows, the monkeys and two other mammals. I don't recall what they were, but um all the all the mom all the moms who produced girls daughters first their breast milk they created a more abundant breast milk as opposed to the ones who created sons first mm. so even with um their next baby um they their breast milk supply was even higher just because of their first baby being a daughter their for their second baby their lactation was even uh greater just because of that so breast milk is still a mystery within itself as to <laughs> what is wrong baby what is what is wrong with you what's the matter you irritable she's been she's she has like four teeth coming in at the same time so she's been like real clingy oh. to me well no so speaking of teething breast go. milk helps with teething as well um yes it yeah, does yes my it daughter, does she got her little pig <laughs> trying to come in and I keep her on my breast because that's one of mm-hmm. the things that keeps her calm. 
Yeah. Yes, it does. And it makes them feel um, breastfeeding. Like I said, the bond, it makes them feel safe. So imagine if, you know, you were, you come out, um, you come out or you go to sleep and you wake up in this foreign place and someone is sliding your food across the, the, the room to you, you would feel abandoned in this person. You know, you know, this person and you don't know anyone else there. And you will feel abandoned. And that's what a lot of moms do when they, you know, give their babies their, a bottle. A lot of moms don't hold their babies while they're nursing. They prop them up. They put a pillow under them. They put a blanket um, or even hand them off to their dad or to someone else to feed them. Whereas that breastfeeding is a sacred moment for you and your baby to bond, for you to get that love connection. Even if you feel a lot of moms, when they have their baby, they don't feel attached to their baby. They don't mm-hmm. feel a connection. Breastfeeding helps that connection um, to form because, like I said, it releases those oxytocins and those dopamines. So it stimulates that love hormone in your brain and your baby's brain. And it creates a love connection because, unfortunately, how I had my baby, I was uh, left in a traumatized state for maybe like an hour after I had her. And I didn't get that instant bond. It was still like, okay, this is my baby. I don't want nobody touching her. But it wasn't that instant bond that I knew I was supposed to have. But breastfeeding, every time I fed her, it was just like I fell more in love mm. with her. So, um, yeah, breastfeeding does that. And um, there was another something else I wanted to mention about breastfeeding. I can't recall it at the moment. Well, hopefully I'll help you um, get back to it. Um I wanted to go into um, still talking about breastfeeding, but um, mm-hmm. for the moms that um, are breastfeeding and then next thing you know, their supply is depleting. Yeah, you actually hit it right on the head. I, was, I wanted to talk about relaxation. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I will. I always say talk to your your herbalist, your doula, and your midwife first. Um, most importantly, a herbalist and your midwife or your doctor. Uh, when it comes to taking herbs, not every herb works for some for everyone. Um, fenugreek might work for one woman, but it might dry you out even more for the next woman. But some herbal supplements, um, red raspberry leaf, fennel, fenugreek, um, you, the things you would like to stay away from is oregano, sage, and peppermint because they help to dry your milk up. Cabbage is one you want to stay away from um, because they help to dry, it helps dry up your milk also. And um, breastfeeding as much as possible. So even if you're just, uh, even if nothing's really, you feel like not a lot is coming out, just still breastfeed <clears throat> or pumping. If you're not, if you're not around your baby, constantly pump, uh, pump according to your baby's feeding schedule. So if your baby's eating every 30 minutes, you should pump every 30 minutes. And of course, drinking a lot of water. You should be taking in a lot of water, at least, um, I personally say at least a gallon a day or more Mm -hmm. because that water is not only for helping produce your breast milk, but you want to make sure your body itself is constantly hydrated. Mm -hmm. 
because uh, that's going to leave you very lethargic. If you aren't properly hydrated and proper eating properly, you're going to be very lethargic. And that's another discouragement, too, because if you're tired, you don't want to put all those pumped parts together or you don't want to constantly feed your baby because then it gives a um, it could give you an annoying type of feeling when you're dehydrated because you, your body's literally depleted. It's like fighting to create milk for your baby and it's pulling from nothing. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure you stay hydrated. Uh, Coconut milk uh, is a great, great hydration um, supplement. Of course, water, but coconut milk, uh, coconut water not only is hydrating, but it contains so many different nutrients and minerals, especially like uh, potassium, so many different vitamins vitamins A and things like that. So coconut milk is a great one you can take. Um, What is it? Walmart sells the whole coconuts, whole foods. um, Right now, during this time, uh, Caribbean places normally have them. So, yeah, you can buy the whole coconut. Some places will even cut it open for you. Uh, Yeah, drink the coconut, eat the meat. It's very hydrating, especially when breastfeeding. And it gives those good... um, immune boosting nutrients for you and for baby there you have it the mom's just like oh my milk is going down what can i do (laughs) Um, always of course do your research and even if you have even if you have completely stopped producing milk that's what relactation is so relactation is for the moms who are who the moms who say oh i never produce milk um relactation is because as a woman, our body knows, okay, there's a baby around. Our bodies can sense that. Our um, our hormones can sense that there's a baby around. And just like how you instantly become a nurturer, like you, you begin to love for that baby if you found a, a baby in the wilderness or something. You begin to love and you want to protect that baby because that's just our natural instincts. Uh, your body does the same thing. It will naturally want to provide for that baby naturally our bodies isn't like okay so you need to go and go to the store and get some milk for this baby no it's going to naturally say okay it needs i need to produce milk to help support this baby and when you constantly latch your baby even if nothing is coming out this is what relaxation is you constantly put your baby on the breast constantly 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 and eventually you will begin to produce milk um, and it doesn't even have to be your baby. <laughs> you could have never been pregnant and uh, you will start wow. to lactate because your body wow. knows your body is taking in that this is a baby and this is what I'm designed to do. This, These are breasts for a reason. These aren't meant to be sexual objects. These are meant to sustain life. So your body will naturally begin to produce milk. So even if you're, you're, you never breastfed your baby and your baby's 10 months, but you made the decision that you do want to, you wish you did breastfeed your baby and you uh, would love to have breastfed your baby, it's not too late. You can always start relactation at any age. Um, I don't know how comfortable you will be with putting a two-year-old <laughs> on there, but, <laughs> um, but if you want to start back relactating at two years old, then go, if you and your baby is comfortable doing it, because I there's a lot of uh, women actually who tell me all the time that their babies still the baby be a year and change and they still would try to breastfeed and they had never been breastfed before. So as long as your baby's up for it and willing to do it, why not? You know, 
it's better late than never. I didn't even know that because you know we always um, talk about breastfeeding, um, especially giving your baby that first feeding, um, giving them that colostrum, the colostrum. And now, I mean, and then you know, after a while, weaning the baby off the breast milk because they're going into um, whole foods and all that sort. So I didn't even think that was a thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know women. I don't know them personally, but I know women that breastfeed their child up until two years old or whatnot. But they've been doing it since birth, versus stopping and then relactating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, there's still a lot of studies going on with it. Same as there's still a lot of studies going on with breast milk. Uh, same as there's a lot of studies going on with our, our body. Uh, everything is a mystery in nature. Nothing is consistent. Nothing is definite. But um, yeah, relactation is definitely a thing. There is some studies that's been going on where they try to figure out, you know, how does the body know to do this? But like I said, we're designed to do this. It's a natural thing for us but yeah relaxation is a thing and um breastfeed your baby as long as you want to I, I know a lot of people shame people for breastfeeding their baby have a five-year-old latch onto their nipple breastfeed your baby for as long as you want to and America is the only country where they encourage early weaning um where they say at least breastfeed your baby for six months um America is the only country that promotes that. And a lot of the times I feel like it's because of the Food and Drug Administration because they want to push um, all these snacks and now they have all these organic pouches and you know they want to push the meat industry. Whereas breast milk doesn't, um, doesn't put money into their pockets. So the earlier you can get them off of your breast, the, 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 the sooner you can start funding money into their pockets. But um, yeah, Africa they breastfeed their in Africa they breastfeed their babies. Most women breastfeed their babies until mm-hmm. they're nine. Um, in India, I think it's seven, and in a lot of other countries it's five. But yeah, breastfeeding is the only America is the only place where breastfeeding is considered unnormal, and that's because we have been programmed um, to think that women's bodies are only meant to be sexual objects. But it's up to us to unlearn and relearn so if you want to breastfeed your baby you look into it and you know you've done your research and or you're comfortable with it your baby's comfortable with it breastfeed your baby as long as you want to I'm going to ride this roller coaster <laughs> as long as I can and even when my baby's wean, I am going to pump and give my baby my breast milk because I rather I rather my baby still thrive and survive off of something that's designed you know for her and I want to so even when that's what I want to do, I want to cut you off. Um, a lot of women get discouraged because a lot of women get discouraged because initially when they start breastfeeding, um, it can be painful. And the thing is, you have to realize this is something new. Your body has never done this before. You know, you for a majority of us, you just had this baby, so it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's not going to feel good. Um, just like with anything we do for the first time Mm -hmm. but once you get past those few days or I say at max if you can get through a week of breastfeeding then you're golden because it doesn't hurt 
No, I agree 100%. As long as the latch is fine, but there will be some feeling, you know, it will feel Mm -hmm. uncomfortable initially because it was never, you've never done this before. Correct. Um, Even with that, uh, when I was talking to my lactation consultant, because like I said, you can read as many books as you want until you actually experience it is not the same. Uh, Reading it versus going through it is completely different. So I've read so many tons of books on breastfeeding latching and um when I actually started doing it it was Mm -hmm. like okay (laughs) I really didn't read about you know any of this and it's honestly hard to even put into words because it's not it's not necessarily a painful feeling because that's when my lactation kept asking me does it hurt and it's like no it's not painful it's Mm -hmm. just uncomfortable but um, like you said, after that first week, I ended up finding myself that same discomfort feeling. I found like when you mm-hmm. can feel your milk coming down. Me too. I love that feeling now. Like I get excited when I feel that. Like <laughs> because it's like yes, my baby's mm-hmm. getting this milk. Like <laughs> when I feel that letdown, it makes me feel good. But at first, it made me feel uncomfortable. But now I love it. Um, uh, I would even go as far as to say I'm obsessed with that feeling. Like, I really enjoy feeling my milk, my breasts fill up. Like, I love knowing that um, I'm full of milk and my baby can come and drink as much as she wants. Um, and then, um, gosh, I don't know why, Keely. I think you sidetracking <laughs> me, little baby. <laughs> it was something else I wanted to add to that, but I can't. I can't even recall it now. You done? Um, so, I mean, that was all I had so far. Um, I just wanted to highlight those things. Oh, that's what I wanted to mention. I wanted to mention, um, latch. Oh, yeah. How to properly latch, uh, because that can be a discouraging thing, too. So, what you're going to do is, um, if your baby's having a problem latching, which I know you mentioned before, um, you know, about tongue ties and all of that. Uh, you can always speak to your baby's <laughs> physician and, and your lactation consultant. But if your baby isn't properly latching, um, what's the matter? what you're going to do is you're going to take, um, you're going to take your index finger and treat it as your nipple. And you're going to put it right on the dimple on the top of your lip. And when you're doing that, as I said, that represents your nipple. What's going to happen is your baby, when you're latching your baby, um, they're they're going to want to go up because they can smell the milk um, from your nipple. And they're going to want to go up. So as they're going up, you're going to be pulling your nipple down. So you're going to put your nipple on that dimple of their top lip and you're going right up under their nose. And as they're going, pulling their head up, you're going to pull your nipple down and into their mouth and you're going to pull them into you. So you don't ever want to breastfeed with them pulling far away from you because that's going to pull your nipple and it can, um, that's going to create sore nipples and a lot of other problems. So you're going to want to bring them in close and it can also bruise your nipples. So you want to bring them in close uh, when they latch. And that's called a deep latch. So a shallow latch is when they aren't fully latched on and they're only sucking your nipple. You want your nipple and your areola to be in the baby's mouth. 
when you latch, when you latch them. And um, there's plenty of videos on YouTube you can look up. <clears throat> um, but yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. You want to make sure you get a deep latch. So you want to start from the, put your nipple on the top of their lip and then place it um, and then place it directly into their mouth when they go up. And you want to make sure you get your areola in there also. Because the babies, um, like you and I discussed before, babies uh, come out knowing how to crawl. And they come out knowing how to uh, root. They come out knowing how to, they call it rooting when they go searching for the nipple. And, um, because the amniotic fluid has the same scent as your breast milk. So a lot of doctors in other countries, when they wipe the baby off, they don't wipe the baby's hands. You shouldn't wipe the baby, period. You shouldn't wipe your baby at all. But a lot of doctors in other countries, instead of wiping the whole baby, um, they only wipe, they wipe everything but their hands because they, and they place the baby on their mom's abdomen so that they can crawl upwards. And this is when the baby is yeah. fresh out. <laughs> so that the baby can crawl the umbilical cord is long enough. Uh, they let the baby crawl upwards to find the mom's nipple and let them naturally latch on their own. Because that's another thing too. You want to encourage them to latch on their own. You never want to just force your nipple into their mouth. You want to encourage them to learn how to latch on their own. And um, yeah, they allow them to root and the babies will actually kick and crawl up to the mom's breast and they use their their hand as a guide to find the nipple because as I said, it has the same scent. And once they find the nipple, they will eventually latch on. So yeah, um, that's just another thing yeah, to add in there with breastfeeding. YouTube it, I did. I didn't know about it until my doula told me. And I started YouTube and I was like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was so um, fascinated. Um, also, yes, um, what you were saying about latching is super yeah. important. Yeah. What Can you, you hear me? about latching was super important because um, I know a lot of mothers that don't breastfeed and their number one reason is, oh, well, my baby don't latch, my baby didn't latch. And the thing is, your baby know what they're doing. You don't know what you're doing. And so you're frustrated. Yeah, nine times yeah, in you're frustrated because It's not <laughs> happening, but it's, it's us that's causing the problem. Um, because we don't know, we we're not um, either trained or we don't understand. Yeah. So again, that knowledge and learning how to do it properly is crucial because that a good latch mm-hmm. makes a whole difference. Mm-hmm. I always say you have you know well depending on when you find out you're pregnant, um, you, but in general you have nine to ten months to learn everything you should as much as you can about. Um, everything from lotus birth to forceps to hospital entrances to having a baby at home to vaccines to unvaxxed to um, circumcisions everything you have nine to ten months to learn as much as you can to make the accurate and most healthiest decisions for your baby and so take that time and do it instead of watching those loving hip-hop shows and all these crazy videos on YouTube or watching other people live their lives, vlogs and all of that takes that time to actually learn something that could have a positive effect on you and your baby's life. Take that time and use it and apply it wisely. Yes, that is so true. 
So before we wrap this up, um, I want to get on, get into the services that you provide, because as we stated before, you are a doula in the Orlando, Orlando, Florida area. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you, um, I can't oh, hear sorry. you can you hear now. Can you hear me? Hello. Uh Oh, can you hear me now? Can you hear me? I hear you. Okay. Uh huh. So, um, I, I, I was saying, um, before we wrap this up, I want to highlight the services that you provide as a doula in the Orlando, Florida, uh, Orlando, Florida area. Okay, so um, currently I'm not taking any clients on as a doula, uh, only because of my own journey now with my little ones. It just doesn't work out um, with the high demand of this the scheduling of, you know, because you can never tell, you never know when the baby's going to entrance. And my baby's very clingy, clingy at the moment. <laughs> so I haven't, um, I took a one-month client after I had my baby, but um, my doula services have currently subsided. But I do offer um, life coach, prenatal and postpartum life coach services. So if you look me up on Instagram and Facebook, it's at duo, D-U-O, doula, D-O-U-L-A. And I offer, um, I call my African belly binds. That represents is new life and transforming your womb. So what it does is it the original name for it are Bengkong binds or African binds. Uh, if you want to look them up, but they help in transitioning your hips back, your pelvis, and your abdomen. I also offer um, nutritional plans and exercises to help strengthen your core and your hips and your pelvic uh, floor and muscles. And I just offer different um, mental clarity programs and just pretty much life coach uh, services. So, and unfortunately, with what's going on, I don't do any home visits right now. <laughs> so, um, I do do virtual services and I offer packages. So, yeah, if you go to my Instagram or my Facebook, or you can message me, uh, send me an email, d4duodula at gmail.com inquiring about any services and I can send you over a virtual pamphlet. Look at that. (laughs) So um, you don't even have to be physically in the same city to get your her services because she does them virtually, which is awesome. But if you are looking for I'm sorry. And I do shipping. Oh, look at that. (laughs) (laughs) And shipping. So, um, but if you are looking for a doula, um, you can always Google them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can Facebook YouTube, them. Instagram, Facebook. Yep. <laughs> Those uh, websites are powerful. Um, all you got to do is just search and you will find them. Yeah, search your area. There's a plethora of different groups on um, Facebook. That's how I found my doulas. I mean, uh, when I was looking for a midwife, not a doula. When I was looking for a midwife, that's how I found my midwife through Google. I found some midwives through Facebook. Um, so yeah, those search engines use them, uh, use them to your best of ability, and actually use them for something positive. <laughs> yes, instead of just interest. So again, 
I just want to thank you for your time. I know it's hard. Um, you hear the little one in the background. Like, hurry up. No, it's okay. I thank you for having me. Of course, anytime. And so if you guys do want to follow Joanna, uh, her information will be in the show notes. Um, that way you can go behind or after this episode, you can go and 